Well, it is good to see everyone that's here this morning. Uh, obviously, we have quite a few people that are away, uh, as was said earlier, that are traveling and so forth, and we know of, of a number of them, so it's not surprising that our crowd is a little bit less, but actually for Fourth of July weekend, uh, it's pretty good. Glad you're here. Hope that you uh, are enjoying your weekend. Hope everybody has tomorrow off and you can do a little relaxing and reflecting and uh, be thankful this weekend for all the blessings that we enjoy. Appreciate the song that TJ just led. Um, it's a beautiful song. It was a new one to me a few years ago when we got these books, but it's very beautiful. And it expresses indeed that God, it, it's taken, if you notice from the top, from a psalm in which the psalmist says, you are my strength. We're going to be talking this, this particular quarter about being holy in my strength. And in many ways, it'll be a counterpart to the past quarter, be holy or being holy in my weakness. But we won't be talking about the exact same things, and we will be approaching it from a totally different viewpoint. I thought this morning, to kind of kick off this quarter, I ran across something, and uh, so I want to I take a look at that in the lesson. And I'm going to call the lesson very simply, You Need a Plan to Climb a Mountain. You Need a Plan to Climb a Mountain. So let me go back and revisit, and you've seen this picture a number of times this year, and uh, from time to time, I will throw it back up here, but uh, obviously with a, a few different points along the way. If you remember, when we were talking about this, one of the things that I said is that man, we often picture God in some way, whether it's at the top of a mountain as they did in ancient times, or just up there, out there, way far removed from us. And so we see God, for example, up there, and we see ourselves down here. And the idea is, I don't really have the strength to reach up to God. I don't really have the strength to, as it were, traverse the mountain and get to God. And yet God is pleading with me, saying to me, even commanding me to do just that. And so there's a feeling that exists between people that there's a great gap, a great uh, expanse between where I am and where God is, whether that's if we're talking about physically, literally, or whether we're talking about emotionally, spiritually, etc. And so they feel this, and they feel that it would take a great effort so much for me to come up to where God is. And so many people, in, in all uh, candor, many people want to bring God down to our level uh, because we feel like we can relate to God if God were maybe a little more human than we sometimes perceive Him to be. Now, along those lines, this quarter, our focus is going to be, be holy in my strength. We are not going to simply and only talk about how weak we are. We spent last quarter dealing with weaknesses, talking about weaknesses, acknowledging our weaknesses. But we're going to talk about our strengths. And if you notice, the theme verse and the theme idea is walking the highway of holiness. And that's a picture that's taken from Isaiah. But walking the highway of holiness, and uh, Wes has added to this, doing that daily. And I believe that's exactly what we are to do. Walk the highway of holiness daily. It's taken from, and let's go to Isaiah chapter, and I'm going to start in chapter 34, and let's kind of just read this together. And I won't spend a great deal of time in commentary, 
But let's start reading in Isaiah 34 down in verse 16, and we'll read down through this passage in 35. But Isaiah 34, 16, Seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read. And that's going to be a fundamental point this quarter, how important it is to rely upon the Word of God, what God says. But seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. No one of these shall fail. None shall want her mate, for my mouth it hath commanded, and his spirit it hath gathered them. And he hath cast the lot for them. And here's the idea of choosing, if you will. He has cast the lot for them, and his hand hath divided it unto them by line. They shall possess it forever. From generation to generation shall they dwell therein. Now let's go immediately into 35. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. The desert shall resort, re, rejoice and the blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The excellency of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye, and you see this quote from Hebrews, Strengthen ye the weak hands, and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. And then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. And just notice this blessing to God's people. And the parched ground will become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. And the habitation of dragons where, where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there. And I think he speaks of Christianity here. A highway shall be there. And a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness, or the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men. Though fools shall not err therein. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. Now finally, verse 10, and the ransom of the Lord will return and come to Zion with songs an everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sigh shall flee away. I know there's a little bit longer reading than I normally do up here, but you get the picture. God is promising blessing and joy. He's promising goodness. He's promising abundance. He's promising excellency to Christians. And that's our strength. What God has planned for us, what God will do for us, and what God will help us do is our great strength. So we understand as Christians, we want a close relationship with God. We often recognize our separation, as this big red arrow is picturing here, our separation from God due to our personal weakness. And so we stress that the last three months. We understand and we acknowledge that. But the strong, and the one who would be strong, knows it takes an orderly, daily walk to climb that mountain. And so we want to talk about that today. And I'm just going to briefly introduce it. But I kind of take it from, and I'm going to add a couple of things that 
One that I ran across, one that all of us have known or probably heard many times in our life, and that's this quote. The journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. The founder of Taoism, Lao Tzu, are pronounced different ways sometimes, but this philosopher made this simple statement, but it is so true. It's profoundly simple. The journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. If I want to get to God, if I want to climb that mountain, you'll notice it's not the big red arrow. It's not that I'm going to snap my fingers today and be at the top of the mountain. It is not that I can go running up the mountain at any point in time in life I choose. It doesn't work that way. No, it takes orderly steps of climbing the mountain. If you've ever climbed a mountain, and I never have, but I've walked up some steep grades. I've gone out in the woods and so forth. And, done some, and, of course, I was a lot younger. But, you know, I've done that and gone up some steep grades and so forth. And when you do that, you have to take it a step at a time. I ran across something, and I, I want to look at it this morning. And let me just start with this statement. God does call me to come up or come near to him in my strength. And I need to know how to do that. Because... In my weakness, I can do less. And I would venture to say that not just some, but most, and I speak of Christians, most Christians settle for less. They reach a point in life, maybe they start out idealistically as a young person, and they're going to do this, and they're going to do that, and they're going to conquer the world, including spiritually. And then over the course of time, as they're beaten down and as they fall and fall again and fall again and fail again, trying to climb that mountain, they do less and they settle for that. In my weakness, I can do that. And I can live a life of futility. That is, futile, never accomplishing the purpose that I see for myself and that I know that God has for me. I can live a life of futility. Struggling, but never becoming more holy. Willing to say, I struggle. Willing to acknowledge how weak I am, but never making the effort that it takes to really be more holy. I think most people do that. Most Christians do that. Most Christians settle for being less holy than God would have them to be. I can acknowledge my weakness. My inability to climb the holy mountain, if you will. I can begin to say, I can never do so and so. I will never be such and such. And I can say it to the point that I accept it and just quit trying because I'm not strong enough. I can do all of that. Or I can begin the process, and it is a process. Like I said, you don't snap your fingers and go running up a mountain. That's not possible. I can begin the process of becoming stronger of climbing the mountain. And so this morning, I want us to look at something. I ran across something by Matthew Childs. Now, I didn't know this guy. I'm not a mountain climber. And uh, even if I were in perfect, great shape, the idea of scaling the side of a mountain and trusting, holding on to this rock and that one is absolutely beyond anything I am. So I don't climb mountains. But Matthew Childs is and has been a successful mountain climber. And he developed a list of, and you'll notice what I say here, simple rules for mountain climbing. And this was after 30 years of successfully doing that. So I'm going to run through these. And believe me, they are simple rules. He stresses that climbing a mountain 
is a process that requires very simple rules. Now, to me, I look at it and I, I look at some mountains and watch some of this and I say, man, oh man, that's not simple. But he declares, no, it is. And there's some simple rules that you have to keep in mind and you have to hold on to. And when I read these, I thought, you know what? There's a great spiritual application in that. So let me run through them and you can see if you agree. Rule number one, don't let go. (laughs) And I thought, you know, anybody that would begin with that rule has got my attention. If I'm climbing up the side of a mountain, don't let go. (laughs) And so, Child says it may be stating the obvious, but... Letting go, he says, and this is the point, begins in the mind. He says, you know, when a person is, for, is, is absolutely stable and holding on to where they are and progressing up the mountain, what happens is, and you know, you'll hear this, I didn't put this on here because he didn't, but they'll say, don't look down. What happens is a person begins to say, wait a minute. Look how high I am. Look at how far I can fall. And all of that kind of thing. And the negative begins to enter the mind. And so he says, letting go begins in the mind. Notice, long before you actually lose the strength to go on. Now, I think that's true both physically or spiritually. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, and this will be a key verse of mine throughout the lessons in this quarter. Let us not grow weary while doing good. In other words, I'm on the mountain. I'm halfway up, perhaps. I'm doing good. I'm fine. I'm taking the steps I need to take to reach the top of the mountain. Don't grow weary in that. For in due season, I'm not there yet. That's true. And I can focus on that and lose my grip, or I can focus on the fact that I am making progress. And that's what he's getting at. We'll reap if we don't lose heart. You know, people become weary. They become disheartened over circumstances in life or fearful or just weakened by life itself. People convince themselves. And that's what it really is. That's what he's talking about. You're doing fine. You're climbing the mountain. And then you convince yourself you can't go on. You can't continue. And he says, when in reality, you can. And to a Christian, in reality... With the Lord's help and in the Lord's strength, I can. Philippians 4 and verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, that's a statement made by God. That's Paul is quoting that. Paul is saying that in the Holy Spirit, I can climb the mountain if I just take it one step at a time. I may not think I can climb the mountain. And that's the problem. But I just need to believe I can take the next step. And that's what child was getting at. Don't look down. Don't look all the way at the top and say, I'll never make it up there. Just look at the next step. Take the next step. Don't let go. Rule number two. Hesitation is bad. In fact, what he says is that momentum is good, but hesitation is a killer. When you're climbing a mountain, as child says, don't stop climbing. And he stresses how important it is. He talks of situations in which you can easily, notice that, easily lose your grip because of a lack of forward movement and begin to slip. What he says is, it's far more important. See, we focus on how well we're climbing. 
And we get to thinking about maybe how little a step I've taken or how bad I did while I was trying to take the step. child says, that's not nearly as important as the fact that you just keep climbing. Because hesitation allows all that negative to rush in, all of that doubt, all that lack of faith, etc. And you can lose your grip when you do that. Hesitation is a killer. And that's equally true of Christians. Because, you know, if we hesitate in our daily walk, we're walking, we're moving, we're going forward, we're taking steps, and we begin to think, boy, these steps aren't that much, I'm not doing that great. If we focus on that and begin to hesitate, same thing happens to us. Maybe we think the top of the mountain is too far. I'll never get all the way up there. I'll never be what I need to be. I'll never conquer this sin. I'll never do this. I'll never do that. We quit. But I'll tell you something else. There's another side of that. And Childs discusses this. Sometimes what happens to a mountain climber is, and you know how this would be, you will start climbing and you're doing great. And then you kind of get a little complacent. Man, I'm making great time. I'm doing good. Now, I don't run, but I would suspect, I know Wes is a runner and a couple of others of you are, I would suspect that a real danger is to focus on how good you're doing, how great amount of time or whatever it is that you're doing, and begin to think like that and think you don't need to put forth the orderly effort to finish the race. I would suspect that's a great danger. Child says it certainly is when you're climbing the mountain. You can easily lose your grip and begin to slip back. I want to read with you and do this with me in Hebrews chapter 2. We don't normally read this passage to make this point, but I want to read it this morning for this point. Notice what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 2 and begin reading from the first verse. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time... We should let them slip. I got to thinking about that passage and I thought, you know, that's kind of like climbing a mountain, knowing what you know, doing what you're doing, and doing pretty good at it, but then you stop thinking about it. You stop focusing on it. I don't need to worry about that anymore. I've got that under control. And that gives an inroad to Satan to come in there and get you to slip up. It's the carelessness. It's the idea of, I know what I'm doing here, and you get a little overconfident, and then you start to be careless, and the next thing you know, the person is falling to their death off the side of the mountain. Give them more earnest heed, lest at any time we let them slip. Because if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, well, how should we, Christians, how shall we escape? If we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and then was confirmed to us by them that heard it. Here's the idea like Paul saying in Philippians 3. I've read it often and I'll go back to this passage. But Paul saying, I have not already attained. It's not already in my grasp. It's there. It's within reach. And I can make it if I just keep pressing on. But I'm not going to be overconfident. And I'm not going to be doubtful because I am walking. I am climbing that mountain. I have made some progress. I have done some things that are right to do. And I'm not going to give that up. I'm not going back. It's kind of like, you know, when you're trying to lose weight and you lose an amount of weight. And 
you know, those of you this weekend that if you have your barbecue and you eat some ice cream, you know, think of me. You know, I mean, really, you know. And if you have a Reese's cup, I don't want to hear about it, you know. But it's the idea of I've made this progress and I don't want to give it up. Pay the price. I'm not stopping. I may hesitate for different reasons, various reasons. But I need to stay on pace. I need to keep making progress. Rule number three. Charles says, have a plan. It's very important, all important. In fact, Child says, map out your entire climb. Now, I, I never really thought about it. Like, like I said, I'm no mountain climber, but I never really thought about a person, we're going to climb this, whatever, this mountain is two miles high, literally. And it's steep and it's rough and so forth. I just kind of figured you, you know, just started climbing and kind of take it as it comes, you know. And I think a lot of people approach Christianity that way. Child says, no, you need to map out your entire climb because he says the unexpected is going to happen. And what he's saying is when the obstacle, and that is the unexpected thing, has not been thoughtfully planned for, it's much easier to quit. Child's observed that climbers are often successful. And I want you to hear this. Really listen to this. Climbers are often successful through some of the most challenging parts of the climb because they plan for it. Only to fall or fail at an easy step, virtually speaking. Because they didn't expect it, and they didn't plan for it. I got to thinking about that with Christianity, and I thought, you know, that's right. How many times have I thought about and focused in my life, if I ever face this situation, and I'm talking about the big things, the worst things, the worst temptations, etc., etc., mapping out in my head, this is what I do. You know, if Potiphar's wife jerks my clothes off, this is what I'm going to do. How many times have I done that but not really focused my attention on the unexpected, the realistic things that probably are going to happen? Charles says when you take that for granted and you don't plan for it, those are the things that get you. You make it through the roughest parts because you, you were ready for it. A successful Christian maps out his life. I was talking with someone the other day and talking about this and talking about the little things. I'll give you an example. Let's say a young couple is going to get married. And you may or may not know that the number one reason for divorce in this country, a lot of people would say cheating. It's not. The number one reason for divorce in our country is fighting over finances. Money. The point is, I find that a lot of couples will talk about how cheating is a deal breaker. How you've got to be faithful. But the whole idea of a budget and, you know, we just kind of take it as it comes. And what ends up happening is it's, it was the unexpected and you weren't ready for it. Satan knows you. And he knows that you're thinking about the big thing. And he also knows you're not thinking about the little thing. And so Satan says, I'm going to get you. I'll get you right there. He's stalking, he's ready, and like Paul said, he's always ready to hinder, and he's done that, as Paul said to the Thessalonians, he's done that to us, to me, over and over. Satan can use anything to obstruct your journey. He can use the big thing, if you'll fall prey to it, 
and he can use the little thing. Satan can use anything. So I need to expect the unexpected and plan for it. Rule number four. This is an interesting one to me. I have to admit to you, I had never thought about it like this before. He says, execute every opportunity to move forward. Now, I don't climb mountains, as I've said several times up here, but here's the point. He said, to reach the top of a mountain, you have to be able to complete each move in between the executed steps. Maybe like me, you think of climbing a mountain as, you know, and you've seen rock climbers and all of that. You think of climbing a mountain as each time you put your hand on a rock or each time you step up on a little, you know, thing that juts out of whatever. You think of it as step-by-step climbing up the mountain. That's the way I thought of it. Child says, no, it's more than that. In fact, it's the moves, as he calls, in-between. Now, notice, he doesn't say the in-between moves or the time in-between moves. He calls them moves in-between. And here's the point. The Christian's moves in-between are what takes place from step to step. And it's so important, just like he talks about it, and I won't get into his philosophy and all of that, but he talks about the mindset. He talks about the focus. He talks about the things that you do in between the moves you make, in between the actual grabbing the next rock or taking the next step as you climb. It's the moves in between. And the way he talks about these things reminds me of the things we do as Christians in preparation for each step. Like the daily prayers we have, the Bible reading, the meditation, the membership in a church like this, and involvement in it. How how much stronger am I because I go to church, is the point. Just go to church. Sing the songs we sing. You know, sit through the sermons we sit through, etc., etc. Am I stronger? I mean, the idea of regular attendance to Bible classes, so important. Activities we have, so important. Not just a hit and miss, drop in, drop out type thing, but a regularly orderly move in between. And for us, it's not so much just the in between, the grabbing onto the next rock. It's the incidents, the circumstances. It's everything I have to deal with every day. The moves in between become so important. I buffet my body daily. I discipline myself. I bring myself under control. Because I don't want to be a person that fights and beats the air, Paul said. People that run, run orderly. They know exactly what they're doing. And it's mapped out and it's planned out. All of that. But it's the moves in between. It's what you do on a daily basis. I remember listening to Wes talk about going to run a marathon, and there were all these different things he was doing leading up to it. And I'm thinking, man, I just figured you got out and ran around the track until you got to the point you could run 26 miles, you know? But it's all that stuff you do in between the races. And that's what Charles is talking about. It's not just the big steps that make a successful climb up a mountain. It's the in-between moves. It's the moves in between that I execute in my life that enables me to take the big steps. Rule number five, know how to rest. Now, I find this interesting because, as I said, the steep inclines I've done in my life, etc., there wasn't a lot of resting. It was just a lot of trudging up the mountain. 
And that in itself is a killer. The best climbers are the ones that can find, and I, I like the way he puts this, a restful body position to calm themselves and refocus. In fact, he says this. In the most extreme situations, you have to know how to regroup and start the climb over. Now, I understand that, and I think you do too. When you get in an extreme situation, I often say this, and Montel and I have talked about this many times. I say, you got a choice. You instantly have a choice. You can panic, and the more you give in to panic, the more dead you are. Or you can stop and breathe and regroup. I may or may not have told you this before, but I know I've told several of you. When I was about 19 years old, and I was stupid, okay? I was out on the Hillsborough River down in Florida. Doug, some of you know exactly this place. I was out on the Hillsborough River, and several of us guys, about seven or eight of us guys, were canoeing. And as we went down this river, and, it, you know, all of that, I mean, we weren't content just to enjoy the scenery and watch the birds and all that kind of thing. We decided it would be a great idea to have a war. So we started battling each other. And the whole point was, who can dump the other canoe? You know, which one can dump the other canoe? Well, we lost. And we got dumped in the water. And I went down in the Hillsborough River, maybe no more than five or six feet. It wasn't that deep, but the problem was the bottom of it was pure mud. And I sank in mud up above my waist, somewhere around here. I've got a little New Testament that I always carried in my back pocket at the house, packed away, and it's full of mud. I sank in the mud, and I panicked. Like, I'm going to die. You know, I couldn't move. You can't swim when you're in mud up to your waist, you know, or above it. And then I had to stop and calm down and say, you can either die or you can get out of here. And the only way to get out of here was I found I could move with a whole lot of effort. It wasn't that wide where we were. But I could move and take a step. And so I just tried in my head to calculate to the best of my knowledge how I felt, what it looked like. I pointed in a direction and I waded through mud till my head got above water. You can panic and die. Or you can slow down and regroup, breathe, and live. Anxiety about the next move is counterproductive, and that's what we tend to do sometimes as human beings. <laughs> what am I going to do? You know, and we forget God is with us. I'm not going to go to the story of Elijah, but the story of Elijah is a beautiful story. Jezebel threatened him. He panicked. He ran. He ran a full day. He was so scared. So he wore himself out. Then he laid down under a tree and he said, God, I'm ready to die. Just let me die. You have to love what God does in this passage. He helps him. He takes care of him. And then he comes to him and he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And boy, he's, oh, I'm here because of this. He helps him again. And then he reminds him, I'm more powerful than the wind, the earthquakes, the fires are more powerful than any of it. Go, return on your way, 
when you arrive. And you know what he's saying? You're not dying. I'm with you. And I've got the power to deal with this. And Elijah got up and he went. Calm yourself. Refocus. I need to hold on and believe the Lord's promise in those extreme situations. Rule number six. Fear really stinks. His words, not mine. Fear really stinks. It means you're not focusing on what you're doing. Rather, you turn your attention instead to the consequences. You're looking down. Man, how far down there it is to fall. It really stinks. It ruins your climb. Serving God deserves our best concentration. I would even say, ideally, it it deserves our total concentration, but we don't give it always. Fear detracts. And it can even preempt. That is just totally ruined, get you off course, get you to stop climbing. Fear not, God says. And I love this verse. You ought to write it down, go home and really meditate on it. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you. Once I learn that, once I say that to myself again and again and again, I know I can make it. Because I have God ensuring me. You keep walking up this mountain and you're getting there. I won't let go. There are legitimate threats in life. There are reasons to fear. But I need to stay focused because the Lord is with me. And finally, Charles says this. Interestingly, last rule, know how to let go. I look at that and I I think to myself, my first instantaneous thought is, wait a minute, letting go is quitting. It's giving up. He says, once you get to the point where you know you can't hang on to something, you need to start thinking about how you are going to let go in such a way that it minimizes the hurt but maximizes your progress. Now, I find that, I really find that brilliant. Because there are times, in life there are times, When I reach a point where I know, I may have said to myself, boy, I can get through it. I can go this direction. I can climb this way. I can take this step. And I can still make it. Because that's what we do. Even if we know the step is wrong. And when we know it's wrong, we just keep on. Because I think I can do it. Child says you've got to know how to let go. You've got to realize when you're going a certain way, when you're holding on to something and it's not working, and it's not going to work. You can hang on the side of the mountain, holding on to that thing, not making progress any longer. You've taken the wrong step. You've gone the wrong direction. You've tried to do it the wrong way. And you can hang there until you get worn out and just fall. Or you can know how to let go so it minimizes the hurt and maximizes your progress overall. There are things in life that Christians need to release. Let go of. It's the wrong step. It's the wrong direction. It's the wrong move in my life. And that can be situations or activities or sometimes even people. And I've got to learn to let go so I minimize my hurt, the hurt to my life, and maximize my progress. It's like Jesus saying in Matthew 5, you know, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. That's extreme. 
But you've got to know how to let go. Perhaps no decision that you ever make in life, as a Christian, maybe as a mountain climber, is harder than letting go. Maybe that's the hardest thing, and that's why he put it at the last of the rules. But I need to know how to make the climb. And you see, making the climb, and that's what he's saying, that's what's important. Not holding on to this wrong step I've taken. Not stubbornly saying, I can make it anyway. Climbing the mountain is what is important. i got to know how to let go. The journey of a thousand miles begins with one step, Lao said. The most important thing necessary to reach the top of the mountain is to never stop climbing. Are you here this morning? Maybe you never started climbing. You thought about it. You've looked at your life and you said, I need to reach God. I want to start today. If you'll confess your belief in Jesus Christ, if you're willing to change your life, take the right steps, stop taking the wrong steps, if you'll be baptized for forgiveness of your sins, the Lord will put you on a path and be there with you to help you climb the mountain. And maybe it is that you've done that and you're hanging on that side of the mountain and you've taken the wrong step and you know it. And it's time to let go and start over. The Lord will be with you. The Lord will uphold you. Won't you please come while we stand and sing?